right. Welcome. Glad that you are here this weekend. Uh, on the way in, they hand you the notes, and if you want to get those out, we're going to start a new series um, at the first of the year. It's always an exciting time for me. Um, I, I, I look forward to just what, what, what God wants to do this year. We, we begin to ask as a staff several months coming into it, what do we feel like God is saying? Where do we feel like God is, wants to go with our church this year? And uh, we felt like the Lord was saying, begin the year talking about hope. And I don't know about you, but what, I mean, what a perfect thing to begin the year with. You look around our world today and you see a lot of reasons not to have hope. But then if you look, you can see a lot of the things that God's doing where we can have hope. And I think it's a, it's a great time of the year to be talking about that. So just a moment, I'll do that. While, uh, while we get ready, let me welcome all of our services in right now here at Lone Tree and Highlands Ranch, Castle Rock, our Lakewood folks, those who live stream us, and even our post-production friends. Those are the ones that may listen in the next two or three weeks uh, via a CD or a download or maybe end up on our website. We're glad that you're able to join us. Um, I've got an exciting announcement that I want to make to you too. Um, we've watched, you know, when I said that the staff prays about what the new year is going to look like, we, we're just looking for what is God doing? Where is his anointing resting? What do we see him elevating? And we also look and say, what do we see that maybe God's not doing? Are there any things that we need to stop? Any things that we need to... Uh, to look at. And there was something that was, that was very clear and very plain, and uh, it, it affects uh, all of our campuses, and it also affects, uh, in particular, the Lone Tree campus. So it's kind of a two-for-one, and that's why I'm making this announcement. We looked at, um, at a situation. If you're going to be a pastor at our church, my little buzzword to all the guys that we hire is this. We can't hire you to do ministry. What we have to hire you for is to train people who can do ministry. Because we do multi-site, because we deal with literally several thousand people, we can't hire a person who goes, I'll, I'll just minister to 100 people. Well, they have to think in terms of how do I minister to three or 400 people at a time. So we, we look for people who are able to multiply themselves. And uh, one of, in our worship, one of, the, one of the key couples that has done for me the best job in, in the last 17 years, church will be 17 years this year, in the last 17 years, the best job in pulling together all of our worship teams, in leading them, in discipling them. John and Gina Wood have just done a phenomenal job for me. They are so good with people, so awesome. Well, hang on, you don't know what I'm going to say yet. So I, I approached them and I said to them, um, I, I want to offer you a promotion. Um, would you leave the day-to-day -day at Lone Tree and would you oversee all of our worship at all of our campuses? Would you unite all of our couples together would you disciple all of these couples? Would you work with them? Would you spend time with them? Would you continue to train them? Would you make your way around to all of our campuses? It's sort of what Dan DeMay does on, a, on an ongoing basis because I'm, I'm sort of an overseer and I do a lot of the teaching and handle that. Dan handles sort of all the weekend stuff and makes it around to all the campuses and deals with all of our campus pastors, sort of the uniting force. And I saw John and Gina do this thing in a way with our campus pastor uh, worship teams that I had never seen before. So I just approached them and I said, hey, would you be willing to, to do this? They prayed about it, came back to me and said, you know, pastor, it would be our, our, in our hearts to, to do this. So uh, starting this weekend, it's, it's already begun. John and Gina are moving into an executive team position and they're going to make their way around on the weekends to all of our campuses and they're going to be working with all of our worship pastors. So then what happens here at Lone Tree? Well, if you've been around for any length of time, we've watched God elevate J.J. Matat as a worship leader in our church. And in particular, he's been leading on our first services on Sunday morning, and we've just seen God do a really neat thing with him. All of our staff was in agreement that this is the guy that we feel like can take 
uh, the, the Lone Tree Campus in, uh, in Lead It now. So we've offered uh, to JJ and to Kate the opportunity to be the worship pastors here on this campus. And they prayed about it and uh, said yes to that. So I wanted to make this announcement where we're just absolutely thrilled. It's one of these things to where you may say, you know, well, gosh, I, I really enjoy them. I really like them. You, you're, you, you will not, they will still be around. They will lead worship from time to time. But they serve the kingdom of God in a greater capacity by being able to do what they're going to do right here. And then to welcome JJ and Kate into this position to lead here. We're thrilled with that. Folks, just want to let you know. Yeah, and I think we should just give God praise for it because... It's an awesome thing. We truly are just so excited about that. Can't wait to see what, uh, what the Lord will do with that in 2015 and, and where that will go. Speaking of 2015, first of the year, um, th- there's a difference between, listen, listen to me, there's a difference between numerology okay, and biblically understanding numbers. What's numerology? That's people who look at numbers as sort of a way to forecast the future. Uh, it gets into the idea of, of the zodiac, things like that. That's not what I'm talking about at all. But there are significant numbers that the Bible talks about that have a meaning behind them. So every year, at the first of the year, I always look at what, what does this number represent biblically. So I looked up 15 biblically, and I always shared at the first of the year what that number means. 15 biblically is a year of rest. And where it comes in, the number 14 is a year of deliverance. It's a year where God does mighty things for his people. If you look at the number 14 through the Bible, it's connected to the idea of him delivering people on such and such a day at such and such a time or using a number of 14 people in a particular way. But the following year of deliverance is a year biblically of God's rest, meaning a year of completion or a year to enjoy the last year's labor. It's a time of reaping. It's also a time of joy. The number 15 means a time of joy. So what would that have to do with us? Because I just believe that God keeps a calendar. And I think that that's why numbers in particular repeat themselves throughout the Bible at different times. So I would just proclaim to you that 15 is supposed to be a year of rest and a year of joy in your life biblically. What would I do with that? How about this? Why don't you pray for God's rest and joy in your life in the year 2015? Even more than that, how about just receive right now that God would love for you to enter into rest and to his joy this year. Wouldn't that be wonderful? So I'm just going to agree that that's going to be uh, what we'll see happen in the year 2015, and we will enjoy that. All right, uh, enough of that. Let's go ahead, and we will jump into uh, our series. We called it, Is It Possible? A Series on Hope or a Series of Hope, depending on how you look at it. And as I said, it is probably much needed today. You can go home, pick up the newspaper, look around the world at what's going on, and see, obviously, man, when you look at the overall picture, I, I mean, just this last week, we see a plane crash. Again, many times this year in that part of the world in particular that we, we've seen that. We see different countries that are on the verge of different things. We see uh, things that are happening uh, 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 social-wise uh, uh, inside of our country, uh, things all around us where I, I think it's a great time just to be talking about hope. And so when I, when I wrote the notes, I thought to myself, all right, I, I know that the, the, the word is filled uh, both Old Testament and New Testament with scriptures that talk about hope. But I, I thought, how, how, you know, obviously I can't sit up here and read every scripture. We'd be here all night long talking about just the scriptures that deal with hope. So I, when I was studying, I thought that there were two, one from the Old and one from the New Testament that sort of express God's thoughts to us about hope. The first one, Jeremiah 29, 11, uh, somewhat familiar scripture. Um, if you haven't heard it, I think that this would be a blessing to you if you have. 
receive it again, but it just simply says, uh, it's the Lord talking first person to Jeremiah. But when he's talking to him, it's not just simply for him. God is making a declaration of his thoughts, his intentions, and his heart for his people. So Jeremiah 29, 11 says this, I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for evil. And then look at this last part right here, to give you a future and what? A hope. I love that right there. So God's intention, his plans, his ideas, his thought, they're not evil, they're not wicked, they're not bad, they're not destructive. They are to give us a future and to give us a hope. And then from uh, the New Testament, this one is Romans 15, 13. Paul wrote this, and it describes God. It's one of the, the, the declaration of God's character. And look how it begins. May the God of what? So, so notice how he doesn't say, may the enemy or the devil of hope, right? The God of hope fill you with all joy and peace. By the way, 2015, joy and peace, right? Rest and joy. So may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope. With hope. By the power of the Holy Spirit. How many of you would love to overflow with hope? We overflow with a lot of stuff, don't we? Especially after the last two weeks. I am overflowing with prime rib. I ended up, I, you know, there's a first world problem. When you stand up and go, I've had too much prime rib, that is a first world problem, yes or no. But nonetheless, a problem. And I, I told Chris, I, if I don't see prime rib for six months, I will be okay. And then she made a chili out of the leftover prime rib, so I'm going to go home and eat it tonight. So anyway, uh, yeah. Uh, but we overflow with a lot of different things, but we should be overflowing with hope is what the Bible tells us. Now, let me, let me just quickly, let me touch on this. I don't want to spend our time talking about this. I want to talk about uh, the cause of hope, but let me just quickly touch on the cause of hopelessness. Um, you know, look, I, I, part of, of being a pastor is that we deal with so many situations where people struggle with hope. I mean, there are things that just end up where it, um, it, it uh, you know, in any, in any cause, there's just stuff that goes on. And I, I narrowed it down to what I think are probably three things that are probably the greatest things that steal hope. The, maybe, the, maybe you could say it this way, the tools that the devil uses in order to steal someone's hope. And I, I, I just kind of summed it up these ways. Number one, I think um, longevity of problems like pain, long-term pain, long-term financial issues, long-term relationships that are, mess, anything that goes long. I, I think most of us embrace with this idea that in life we have some trouble. You agree with that? It's just part of, it, it's, it, we didn't do anything wrong. It's just part of life. Sometimes we have trouble in life. It happens to us. But here's what I have learned. When it goes on for a long period of time, the devil loves to take advantage of that in a believer's life. And, 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 and in, in reality, I think it's, hum, it's the human condition that anything that takes a long toll on us begins to steal hope from us because we tend to feel like after a long period of time, there's not going to be an end to this. I'm not going to get through this. That's the thing that starts happening. So I think that anything that goes on for a long period of time uh, is one of those things that can begin to steal hope for us. Uh, how about this one right here? Compounding trouble. I don't know if you've ever gone through this one in your life. It's bad enough to have trouble happen. But have you ever had trouble where it's just like you wake up that day, the next day, and you're like, what can happen today? By the way, I've got a friend who is Jewish. He's our guide in Israel. I was talking to him recently, and he said, uh, you know what a Jewish optimist and a Jewish pessimist is? And I said, no, I have no idea, Reuben. He, he said, a Jewish optimist is a person who looks at the world and goes, can it get any worse than this? That's an optimist. <laughs> and he says, a Jewish pessimist answers by going, yes. 
And there's, there's an optimist and a pessimist in the Jewish condition. And I think that in, in this case right here, this, this sort of looks like uh, that, that when trouble begins to compound on itself, and it just seems like it's, doesn't it seem like the enemy loves to take advantage of a person, just one thing after another, after another, after another, whether it's financial, whether it's, it's, it's health, regardless of what, you could fill in the blank with what it is, but when it seems like it's just compounding like a bombardment, that, that tends to steal uh, hope from people. And then the last one, uh, I actually added this one uh, later in the notes. I didn't write it down. At first, I, I only wrote down the first two. But the last one, I think, may, maybe it's a compilation of the two, but I added it as a third. Uh, Proverbs 29, 18 says, um, where there is no vision, people perish. Where there is no vision. And I think when a person loses vision for the future, yes or no, that steals hope from a person's heart. It's one of those things to where you just find yourself suddenly like, if you don't feel like there's a reason to go on and a reason to go forward, it's just something that can steal hope from us so, so quickly. So I, I, I don't, you know, I, I'm going to add this before I, I talk about this story. Chris and I, oh, over the, the Christmas holiday, went to see the movie Unbroken. Anybody else going to, going to see you? So I, look, um, I, I got to be somewhat careful in when I stand up. So, you know, I, I realize I have a responsibility that my words carry a lot of weight. I'm not making an endorsement because I realize some people could go to this and find some kind of fault in this movie. Uh, if you do, you know, something's wrong with you. But uh, oh, let me, let me, no, I, <laughs> I, it's a great movie. And here's what I liked about the movie. Uh, it, shows, it shows the power of hope. And I won't spoil this for those who haven't seen it, but this is the part that, that is known about the movie. It's the part that's in the, the trailers. Uh, it, it's about Louis Zamperini. Uh, he, he was an Olympic runner when he was a, a kid, uh, went to the Olympics in Germany uh, at, the, at the rise of the, uh, the Nazis and Hitler, um, ended up in World War II, was on a fighter. He was a bombardier on a fighter. It crashes into the Pacific. He's, he's uh, on the water for uh, 47 days. And then he finally gets rescued, and he's rescued by a Japanese warship and put into a Japanese prison camp for two years. And it shows how he survives this situation, brutally treated, I mean, hope against hope. And this guy kept hope. And I, I guess that's where I begin this message. Here's the thing about why you want hope. Hope is that one undeniable issue that if a person has hope, it can cause you to hold on in the most difficult of circumstances. Hope is that thing. And I don't, I don't know how to describe it. Is, here, here would be an argument against the idea that it all just evolved from, from particles. That if it's all just evolutionary based, then there should be no hope in the human heart. Because hope is not an issue of just, uh, uh, hope is something spiritual that is put inside. So even if you're a non-believer, I think that God puts eternity in the hearts of all people. And I think hope is a proof that in all of us is some type of a, it, it's beyond just survival. It's the idea that there's got to be something better. And it's what keeps people going in the most drastic of situations, in the hardest of times, when things are at their worst. Something about hope actually flourishes and grows when the pressure's on, isn't it? Yeah. And if you have hope, hope, hope can cause you, on both sides of the issue, to spend money yeah. when you shouldn't and when you should. 
You, I'll go there in a minute. I'll get there in just a second. But hope is that, it's that, uh, that, that thing that just is so, it's so awesome that when it's right, it, it causes us to go in the right direction and to hold on. And false hope, with the other side of that, false hope can cause us to go in a direction that we shouldn't be going. All right, let me, let me give you one woman's story from the Bible when it comes to this issue of what hope can do for a person. A person who has it, loses it, and regains it, and how that happens. So we find this, Mark chapter 5, it deals specifically with a woman. We don't have her name. We don't have her background. In fact, this is one of these stories. Here, here's a, a thought. We're going to get a 12-year history of a woman in about six or seven verses. So it leaves out major details. We don't know her name. We don't know her situation in life. We don't know what happens after this story with her. All we get is this quick slice of the story, and Jesus intersects with this woman in space and time. So this is from uh, Mark chapter 5. We're going to look at verse 24 through 34. So uh, you can read along with me if you want to or follow along. Uh, a great multitude followed him and thronged him, speaking of Jesus. The word thronged here is interesting. Uh, it's the idea that, uh, I think I taught this one time before, that um, if you were ever in a crowd, like at the mall at Christmas, <laughs> right? And you can't, I don't know if you've ever been there where you can't get your arms up. There's so many people around you. That's the idea right here. This is not, this is not just a hundred people. This, are, this is thousands of people who have heard about Jesus They've heard about what he's capable of, what's happened around him. I, you know, you, you can imagine how that spread from mouth to mouth and person to person and, and just word of mouth. The, the, he, he is famous is what's happened. And he gets out of a boat and a great multitude has already, they followed him, they've met him as soon as he gets out of the boat. And the Bible says that they thronged him, meaning he can't even get his arms up. Now, a certain woman, we don't get her name, we don't get her age. We don't get much of her background, but it is talking about a particular person. A certain woman had a flow of blood for 12 years. In any case, can you agree with this? 12 years is a long time to deal with any problem. Okay, I, I do not know about you. 12 weeks is a long time to deal with a problem. 12 years, imagine. So imagine it's a problem that is not just simply like uh, something that you can get away from. This is a problem that no matter where you go, it's with you. This is not something you can leave behind at the office. This is not something you can walk away from in a relationship. This is not something that you can just simply turn off and on in life. This is a problem that's a nagging, persistent problem, and it will not leave this woman alone. So a certain woman had a flow of blood for 12 years, and then look at this part, had suffered many things from many physicians. The word suffered here is not the idea. Hold on just a second before you go forward. The word suffered here is not that the physicians did her wrong. It's the wrong idea. If we said that a person is long-suffering, what are we saying about them? That they're enduring, they're patient, they put up with a lot of things? Okay, what's being said here about this woman and these doctors is that she's gone through every treatment she can possibly go through at that time. It's not that she's been mistreated by doctors. It's that doctors can't answer what's wrong. She's gone through, she's put up with, she's had to endure many things from many physicians, many opinions, many ideas of how to help her. And then to go to the next part here. She had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. What's happening 
in a small amount of time in a story that we don't get great detail, that our job is to look into it and to try to pull from it. The words here, she had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. Can you imagine over a 12-year time period taking everything that you have in this world to try to fix a problem and to invest all that you have and to end up at the end of the 12, the only thing you have to show for it is now you're still sick and poor. So imagine the position that this woman is in. She spent all that she's had and grew worse. But look at this. When she heard about Jesus, she didn't witness anything. She never attended anything. She's never ever seen him before. All that happens for faith and hope to be triggered in her heart is that she heard about Jesus. The Bible says that faith comes by hearing. So let me say this. I met with a guy this morning. I meet with him every Saturday. He's a good friend of mine. I told him I'd give him credit for this. I just said, help me, just layman's terms, in your mind, the difference between hope and faith. Because I think for many of us, if I said, divide it for me. I think for most of us, we connect it to say, my hope, hope is faith and faith is hope. Here's what he said to me. He said, hope is the beginning seed. You can have no faith and have hope. But when hope graduates, it becomes faith. And I thought, Bill Pearson, you nailed it. When hope graduates, it becomes faith. When hope matures, when hope grows a little bit, when hope, when hope takes root, it can turn into faith. But what gives a person hope? All it takes is to hear that God cares, to hear that God knows where you are, to hear that God loves you, to hear that God's not against you, to hear things like 2015 is a year of rest. Those words alone have the creative power. They're a seed that goes out that can produce hope in the heart of a person instantaneously. But when we hear, when it grows, when it matures, it can become faith. Here's what Hebrew says. Faith is the proof of the things that we hope for. When hope matures, it can become faith. This is the difference between a believer and a non-believer. A non-believer cannot ultimately have faith without belief in Christ. They can have hope. Anybody in the world can have hope. But hope's not the ultimate issue. Faith becomes the substance, the thing that we can touch, feel, see. Faith is what makes hope reality. That makes sense? All right, so she had spent all that she had, was no better, but rather grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if only I may touch his clothes, I shall be made well. Immediately the fountain of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of the affliction. And Jesus immediately, knowing in himself that power had gone out of him, turned around in the crowd and said the most ludicrous thing. Who touched my clothes? How did we begin this story with a throng of people around him? So many that he can't even raise his arm. Can you hear the disciples answer him? How about Peter? How about everybody's touching you, Jesus? How do we answer the question? And Jesus asked, who touched my clothes? And he looked around to see her who had done this thing. But the woman, now this is interesting. 
fearing and trembling. Let me just stop here and ask you, why is this woman, she's just healed. Why isn't she jumping up and down, cheering and celebrating? Let me teach you something biblically very quickly. At that day and at that time, they're under the law. And the law was simply this. Blood happens to be able to be a vehicle that can transport disease. Uh, Ebola can be transported through blood. AIDS can be transported through blood. Also, it's still it's a vehicle, isn't it? All right, Old Testament, back when God first gave the law, one of the things that God said was that blood is a way that disease can be transferred, and so they called it clean and unclean. And a certain amount of time had to be given if a person had a wound or through a period or whatever it was, a certain amount of time had to be given for a person to be, care, to be declared clean. If they were not declared clean, then they were unclean. And here was the problem. They were pulled out of society and left out so that they couldn't bring any disease. There were, you had to understand what God's thing here was not to, to eliminate a person, but it was they didn't have the ability to handle disease like we have today. And even today with Ebola, what do we do? Pull them out, isolate, correct? Yes, no? I mean, that's, so, so here's a woman who is supposed to have, after 12 years, she still is unclean, and she's supposed to be isolated. And when you're unclean, you have to announce when you come into a crowd, unclean. You have to say this. If you were a leper, you had to announce, unclean. What does that do? Everybody has a chance to get away. This woman is supposed to live her life not only someone who is without hope, but now is absolutely castigated in society and supposed to announce to everybody she's unclean, and this is what she cannot do. In the Old Testament, the unclean cannot touch the clean because it defiles the clean. Here's the rule with Jesus. Jesus isn't under the law. He's over the law. In the Old Testament... The clean can't touch the clean. In the New Testament, Jesus heals what's unclean. So this woman is not supposed to have anything. She, for touching any person, can be stoned instantaneously. So she makes her way through a crowd. So she's already touching people. Reaches out and touches Christ. Christ feels the power leave his body. Turns around and says, who touched me? And she immediately is fearful. Why? Because all Jesus has to do is go unclean, and they're supposed to stone her on the spot. That's why she's not celebrating right now. That's why she's not jumping up and down and like, yay, I'm healed. She's like, uh-oh, I'm in trouble. <laughs> so the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. What's the whole truth? I'm unclean. I should have never done this. I'm sorry. I don't know exactly what the Bible did tell us, just the whole truth. And his response to her was simply this, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. All right, I just wrote a few things down here that I thought were interesting in this story. Let me just throw this out to you. Number one, we don't know what her name is. We don't know her age. We don't know how she grew up. We don't know what happens to her after this. All we have is just this quick soliloquy of her and Jesus. But if I were to take her life and compare it to people 
who end up going through things that steal their hope, I would say it probably works this way. The first thing that happens is some type of symptom. Now, we could compare it to disease, but it could be financial symptoms. It can be symptoms in a relationship. It can be symptoms in any area of life. But at first, there's some type of symptoms. At some point, this woman began to bleed. And what should have stopped didn't stop, but it continued to flow and flow. Then there was probably the denial. Can you imagine? At some point in her life, she had to have said, this just can't be happening. Tried to hide it, tried to cover it up. But at that level, it's just not happening. So she has to begin to approach doctors and people who can fix it. And all of a sudden, there's a diagnosis. And after the diagnosis, let me just ask you this question. 12 years spending all she had, she's still no better, but now worse than when she began. Can you see a person who might be depressed? Can you see a person who might lose hope in this society. And I, I find myself thinking, you know, this story is put in the Bible for a particular reason. There's so many things. The Bible says if we just had the works of Jesus written down, the world couldn't contain the volumes. So everything we read in the Bible is there for a particular reason. And here we have this slice of this woman's life given to us in the Bible. I think it's there because all of mankind can look and identify at some level in our lives times where hope is stolen out of our hearts. Times where we just feel like it's hopeless and it's never... What's the cure for that, man? What, what's, what's the ultimate aim when there's no hope? How do you get it back again? Look, I told my staff, here's the thing that needs to happen in this message. I can't stand up and just talk about the definition of hope. That's not going to help people. What I need to do is to talk about Jesus. Because if people hear about Jesus which is what happened for this woman. All she did was hear about Jesus. And what happened? She got hope in her heart. That if I could just touch Jesus, if I could get near him, if I could get by him, if I could get close to him, I'm going to be okay. What would produce hope in any person's heart in my mind? If you could just absolutely hear about Jesus, to believe that he cares for you, to believe that he's here, that he's close by, that 2015, look, it doesn't matter what the past 12 years have been. It doesn't matter what the past 20 years have been. Here's the hope that all of us have in our hearts, that God is going to come by us now. That he's coming our way. That he wants us to reach out and touch him. I thought, if you could take any message at any point in life and just teach that idea that Jesus wants to draw close to you. That if people heard that, it could cause hope in their hearts. I, I, in writing the message, I thought to myself, there's so many times I think that people operate on hype. And it's really a product that's false hope. Like, I hope things are going to be better in 20. I hope you're right, Pastor. I hope it's going to be a good year. I hope I'm not going to get sick. I hope it's going to be, a, you know. False hope is not what the gospel is built on. It's built on the reality that God is real. That God is for us, not against us that God wants to be in our midst and with us. And if a person could believe that God is here and close by, 
The thing that could happen in a person's heart is hope. And if you could get any sliver of hope, then the possibility for real faith, which is what can change every situation in life, that's what can happen. I thought to myself, God, if I could give any, any message, if, if it was even my last message I would ever teach, I would want to give hope to people who were listening to what I had to say. In my mind, I thought the highest level of any church would be that when the people gathered together, everyone should leave with hope in their hearts. Do you agree with that? That should be the one thing that should always happen, regardless of what's taught. Hope should be given. So I thought to myself, okay, so how, how do you make that happen for people? The only way is to elevate Jesus. It's the only way is to say that this is God's intention for us, that his plans for us are good, not evil, to give us a hope and to give us a future. That the God of all hope wants you to overflow with hope. How about this one right here? Paul tells believers, be ready to give an answer for the hope that lies within you. And I would just throw this out to you. Maybe the best way we could witness that God is alive and real in this world would be if the people of God were filled to overflowing with hope. Wouldn't that be the way to live in 2015? To be hopeful? Wouldn't it be just like God that in the midst of darkness all around us for the people of God to shine the light of hope? To hold on to hope. I guess I come with the idea... I hope you can see, I'm not trying to hype a message. I'm not yelling. I'm not pacing. I'm not trying to push. I honestly am trying to elevate the reality that Jesus wants to come by us today. And if you could hear that in your head, the hope that you could leave here with the opportunity for it to take root in your life. I thought, how many people will hear this message and be coming from so many different situations and the opportunity for everybody to grab onto hope so that it can graduate to faith, so that the reality of what he promises us and what he says to us becomes real to us in life. thought when I got to the end of it, that would be the prayer. That Jesus would be real to us in 2015 as never before. Not a historical character that we read about in the Bible. Not just the idea of, yes, we get who Jesus is, but a reality that he is drawing near to us, calling us to himself to hear for ourselves. Faith comes by hearing when we know that he wants to draw near to us, the opportunity to have hope. And I thought that's where I would begin our year, is praying for our hearts to be overflowing with hope. Overflowing with hope. So, if you want in on this prayer, here's what I'll do. Why don't you just put your hands like this. If you've got more hope than you know what to do with, you don't have to put your hands like this. In fact, if you have more hope than you know what to do with, put your hands on the people next to you. <laughs> but if you're just in a position of, you heard what I said, 
and you want to overflow with God's hope. This is just a position of receiving. That's the only reason I ask you to do it. Father, we open our hearts to you, our lives to you, our hands to you. Just like this woman who when she heard you were going to come close to her, she reached out her hands. Her hope graduated to faith when she pushed her way through a crowd and opened her hands to you. God, I know that there are people who this weekend at one of our campuses will hear this message and can picture themselves having opportunity to reach out touch the living God right now. Father, you're not hiding from us. You're not avoiding us. You're not on the other side of the galaxy. You're everywhere all at once, right here, right now. And your word to us is, I know the plans and the thoughts that I have towards you. Plans that are good, not to harm you, but to give you a future and to give you a hope. You want us to overflow with the hope of Christ in us. God, that's what I pray right now, that Jesus would be so elevated in our lives that it would cause hope. Not false hope, not hope that's hyped up, not hope that is just wishing, but hope that produces real faith so that the promises of God become very tangible and real in our lives. If this is a year of rest and a year of joy, then may our hope be in God doing those things in our lives. And may it become faith where we possess joy, where we enter into rest, where we find the promises of God. Lord, enter into situations. People that are sitting here, the Father, all they have right now is maybe the slightest glimmer of hope Let that be the catalyst to produce faith. Father, we reach out right now. In our hearts, in our minds, we reach out to you, God. Produce hope in us. Just like Paul said, real hope doesn't disappoint. That's what we believe, God. Real hope will not disappoint. And I pray that now on your people. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hey, that is going to be our prayer for our church in 2015, is that there will be hope overflowing as never before. Hope overflowing. Bless you. Love you. Drive home carefully. Okay? Make sure and do that. Coffee bars are open. Take a few minutes and enjoy that. If you want to get the t-shirts for the youth group, they're available out there too. Have a wonderful weekend.